So we are continuing on in our, um, our walk through the book of Mark, our series of the book of Mark. Today we're beginning chapter 7. So turn your Bible on, open your Bible, grab a Bible from the chair in front of you, whatever you need to do. We're going to start looking into the text here. So we'll read it and then we'll go back to it. We're going to go through verses 1 through 23 this morning. And it says this, it says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. <clears throat> And he called the the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters into his, not into his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sensual immorality, or sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, and slander. Pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. (coughs) So, Jesus is, is, is certainly making an impact. He's got the attention of the religious leaders of the day, the, the Pharisees, and they've come from Jerusalem because all of this stuff is going on in his ministry. There's all this stuff, there's healing, there's people, there's this buzz about Jesus and what's going on. And so the, the, the leaders from Jerusalem have come, and they've come to check him out, um, and they um, are judging him at this point, right? Not based on his teaching, but on an action, an unmet action that they deem as being necessary, right? So let's go back over it. Let's kind of just break this apart a little bit here at a time. It says, uh, so they'd come from Jerusalem. They saw some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. Now, when it says here defiled, 
The, the, the word here is koinos, and it means common. The, the, the Greek language of the day was called Koine Greek, and it was the common language of people. It was the, it was the, it was the language of trade, and so it was the common language that linked the, the world together, basically, at this time. It was the common language. And so they're saying that your disciples eat with these common hands. And, and the, the, the whole idea of the hand-washing thing, it has nothing to do with hygiene at this point, right? That's a law that mom has, okay? It's not a religious law. It, 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 there's no law in the Old Testament that says... You got to wash your hands before you eat, okay? <clears throat> you should listen to that because mom has that law, but, and it's a good practice, but there's no actual law saying that you have to wash your hands before you eat. But you see, for them, it was this idea that, that you could be common. And the way, the way that you were common was if you had been in the presence of something that was unclean, namely for the Jewish people, a Gentile. A Gentile person would leave them kind of common in that place where they, where they weren't really... Um, they were a pure people because they believed themselves to be righteous before God as Jewish people, but because they'd been in the presence possibly or somehow brushed against the Gentile in a way that they may not even know, they would make sure that they washed and they got that off of them because now what was around them was now on them and they needed to get it off. And they were really particular about how they washed their hands and how much, and they, they would let it drip this way so that it didn't kind of go down this way and, and all of these things so that they could... Um, so that they were no longer common. So they have this, this, these rules, these rules and regulations that they're going by. And, and in particular, this is the tradition of the elders. It's the oral law that they're talking about. So there's the written law. But then what's happened is that they've added all of this oral law to the law. And, and they've begun to say that this law, for them to not be washing their hands, is really a religious offense and so it's a big deal. But you see, with God and his economy and the way that he was working, when you look in the Old Testament, what you'll see is that there was only pure and impure. There wasn't this idea of common. And, and, and so here they are, and they're, they're just pointing the finger, right, at what hasn't went on, that, that they haven't followed these traditions that we've followed. In, in Acts 10, it's kind of interesting because what we see is this idea of common uh, that pops up here, and, and it's a vision that Peter gets, and it says this. It says, um, it says the next day, um, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop. It was about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanting something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. So sometimes we kind of get this maybe a little bit wrong. What, what didn't happen here was that, that God didn't pronounce the unclean things as clean. What he's telling Peter is don't take what's clean and call it common. 
Don't call what I've made to be clean, what I've cleansed, don't call that common anymore. That's idea that you brushed up against something that you view as being not um, okay, and therefore it has defiled you in that way. And Jesus is beginning to expound on this whole idea that there's, there's not these things from the outside that get onto the inside of you. Right after this, Peter is going to meet with Cornelius, who is a Gentile, and this whole vision gives him an understanding of what God is, is saying to him, of saying that I've made these things clean and don't call them common. So this is the problem with them. They're, they're, they're saying, why do, your, why do your disciples eat with these common hands? And it says that when they, when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions. There's a whole line of traditions that they observe, such as the washing of the cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And they asked him, why don't your disciples do this according to the tradition of the elders? And then Jesus is going to go into this thing. But you see, see Jesus is... Um, He gets this, right? What we have to understand is how the Pharisees were seen. The Pharisees were seen as the most religious people of the day. As a matter of fact, maybe from our end of things, we kind of look down on them a little bit. We're kind of like, oh yeah, you Pharisee, right? This guy's a Pharisee. But for the people of the day, the Pharisees were the religious elite. When they saw those guys and they saw how how careful they were and how all of these things that they did, they were just like, whoa, man, those guys, those guys have got it all together. They're, they're, the, they're the leaders of this whole thing. Jesus had a little different perspective on them, right? In Matthew 23, he says this, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. What's he saying? He's saying externally, you do a lot of religious stuff that makes you look good. You, you do all of these things, and you make sure that on the outside that, that, that everything looks good. And so when people see the outside of you, they see a whitewashed tomb. But the reality of who you are is on the inside, you're full of corruption and death and rot and decay. He, he says that you, you do a really great job of washing the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is dirty. See, this, is, this is, gets into the heart of what the gospel is, right? The, 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 the gospel is this. See, Jesus, he never worried about things from the outside getting on him, right? He touched the leper, right? Everybody else won't touch the leper because they're afraid that what's on the leper is going to get on them, if, but not Jesus. Jesus recognizes and understands that when he touches something, it's him that gets on it, not it on him, right? Nothing ever gets on Jesus in that way. And so Jesus, when, he, when he's dealing with like the leper or the, the demoniac, he's not worried about where they're at. He understands fully well what he can do and what he brings into the situation. 
This is the gospel. And this is a real great reminder for us as believers too. See, because in reality, we all need practical ways of figuring out how to follow God's law. God's command, the, the commands that have been given to us, we all need practical ways to live that out. The problem is in the birth of legalism is, is maybe you or I have a particular bent in our lives. Maybe we have a sin that we've struggled with deeply and, and it's been a really tough one. <clears throat> and maybe we've built up some, some ways of making sure that that sin doesn't creep in on us and, and we fall to it. The problem and where legalism is born is whenever I start taking some of those things and applying it to everybody else. And we start putting onto people things that the Bible doesn't teach or say. Those bents and those things that we have in us, they can even be barriers to clearly even reading God's word. Because sometimes they become a preconceived idea of how things are gonna go, how it goes for me and how it ought to go for you. And so, those things can then just give us this place where when we approach God's word, we don't approach it with a real openness. It's the Pharisee that lives in us that approaches it and, and begins to, to kind of look into God's word and, and then apply that to our lives and to other people. See, Jesus always goes into his word, and this is the, this is the next place that he goes right here. We're going to see as he deals with them. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites? Now, it's just, when Jesus dealt with Satan, where did he go? He went to God's word. The, the big question, too, is where are we going? Because you got to be going to God's word. You can't, we can't be going to what we think or how we think it ought to be. We've got to recognize that sin has impacted our lives. It, it's leaked in on us in ways that we don't understand or get a lot of times. Our own bents, our own propensities, all of these things... <laughs> we need to really go to God's word and we need to go to it openly, being willing and ready to change the things that are not in agreement with it in our lives. The things that we, we, we have a bent towards or we, we, we minimize or the culture around us begins to minimize. We're gonna get into that, but remember, Jesus called them a hypocrite, right? We hear this all the time, right, about the church. Big excuse for not going to church is it's full of hypocrites, right? Well, I would just say there's always room for one more, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, there's room for one more, always. 10 more, 20 more. I mean, I don't know what to say, but okay, I get it, right? But you see, the, the true meaning of a hypocrite isn't this. Sometimes we, we, we mishandle the word. Hypocrite is, is Greek, it's hypo, under, like a hypodermic needle, it's under, and then a crit is a mask. It was a theater term, and it meant a person who was behind a mask. So here's what a hypocrite isn't. A hypocrite isn't someone who is trying to follow Jesus, who is open to what God's word says and, and the effect of that in their lives and trying to apply that, who trips, messes up, and sins. That's not a hypocrite. That's a human. <laughs> yes, amen. That's a human. A hypocrite is somebody who never really intended to follow in the first place. A hypocrite is somebody who's just hiding behind this. A hypocrite is somebody who's just putting on the show, coming to church, maybe reading your Bible. 
Maybe using all of those things as a, as a means of, of displaying your own self-righteousness. See, because this was the problem with the Pharisees. They began to believe that their ability to fulfill their religious tenets justified them before God. It made them right. It made them righteous. And Jesus is pointing out to them, no, it's not an external thing. You have an inward problem that cannot be dealt with by an external solution. It can only be dealt with inwardly. See, it's words over a changed life. It's attending church over following Jesus. It's compartmentalizing your life believing that somehow you have your life over here that is church and life, and then you have a secular aspect. But the reality of our lives is that the secular and the sacred are completely intertwined. Everything that you do, every place that you go, whatever you do in life is sacred. There is no secular for the Christian. I mean, we say the word secular and we, we use that, but, but everything is sacred. Your work, your secular work is sacred work. It's you as a Christian doing that work, bringing the principles and the ideas and the things of God into the world around you. <laughs> Jesus said, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When we begin to, to put our own ideas of what this looks like, over what God says, and we begin to assign that to other people, and when we begin to see ourselves as more righteous than other people because we fulfill these things and they don't, then you're a Pharisee. You're just living like a Pharisee, right? It's the goodness and the grace. It's the recognition. See, when we get it right about the gospel, we begin to recognize the, the reality of how wretched we are on the inside. We, we start to sometimes think that like, well, I mean, I'm not that bad. I'm not that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not as bad as that person, right? We live our lives like this. We're like, I don't know. Not as bad as Adolf Hitler. Maybe not as good as Mother Teresa, right? But you know what the Bible says about that? It says, it says you're wrong. It says nobody's good. None, zero. Nobody's good. We, we look at good. We, we compare ourselves to one another and we build a hierarchy in this world and we say, well, we're better, but God doesn't do that. He says there's pure and there's, unpure, and there's unpure. There's righteous and there's unrighteous. That's it. There's saved and there's unsaved. That's it. And, and, and so as God's people, we can't have that divide between the sacred and the secular. We, 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 we can't go out of here and live in any other manner but as Christians, no matter what we do, no matter what we've got going, Right? If you, got some, if you got a fish on your car, watch how you drive, you know? <laughs> if you can't handle it, if you can't handle it out there, in, in our, in, especially in Sheridan, if you can't handle it out, actually go to some counseling. But, <laughs> but if, you're, if you're prone to road rage, do me a favor, do all of us a favor, and take that fish off the back of your car. Seriously, <laughs> if you can't do it, because everything that we do makes a difference, makes a difference. Right? I remember years ago, we were moving cows. I was moving cows from all the way out by Lake DeSmit back to Banner. Because the, the ranch I worked on had bought all the cows out of there. And we were, we were 
we were trailing these cows. And so we were on the back roads and we were doing the best we could, but we were holding up some traffic. And I remember all these cars waited patiently and worked their way through these cows, except guess who? Joe Bob Christian. He had all kinds of bumper stickers on the back of his van. And he came through there yelling and cursing and cussing and saying things that were so belligerent, you can't believe it. I actually found him later because his van was pretty obvious. I confronted him on that. But, but that, that, we can't do that. We, we cannot live like that. And, and that's the thing. So Jesus goes on and he says this. He says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses has said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down in many such things you do. So Corbin, what is this idea of Corbin? Corbin is this thing that it means it was given over to God. And so Corbin was something that to in, in, inflate your status, to look good in front of other men, you, they would give money into the temple. And that was Corbin, that was given to God. And, and so then when somebody's family or they had family members that were struggling, if their parents were struggling and stuff, then not even the Pharisees would allow them to access any of that to help them. They, they said, well, or they would just use it as an excuse to not help their parents and be like, oh, well, I would help you, but this is given over to God. So I can't. I mean, how dumb is that, right? This is given over to God, so I can't help my parents. See, this is, this is the view, though, of, of, of the idea that when we begin to make rules that God doesn't make, this is where we go. Why? Because there's a problem inside of us, and that problem is selfishness. That problem is sin. Jesus went on to say this, and he called the people to him again and said, hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, for the things that come out of a person are what defile him. There's a saying I like. It says this. It says, you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair, Right? There's a reality to the world that we live in. There are things that are flying over our head. There are things you, you can't even get away from a lot of these things anymore. But you can control the degree to how you entertain these things. And, and what we do, what lens we're looking at of life as we're dealing with these things. See, but the problem isn't the things on the outside that are going in. The problem is what's going on on the inside and what is attracted to those things. See, we talk about sin here, and a lot of times, and I'll do this too, when we say sin, we, we always mention that it's a Greek term, it's an archery term, and it means to miss the mark. It's, it means to miss the bullseye, right? We say that a lot. And I've been really thinking that because that's the truth, that's what it means, but sin is much worse than just missing the mark. Sin is actually binding yourself to something other than God or what God would have for you. It's binding yourself to these things. It's attaching yourself to things in a way that doesn't bless us, it doesn't bring goodness, it doesn't bring health, it doesn't bless the culture around us, it doesn't bless anybody, but we bind ourselves to it because we're attracted to it, because it's inside of here. 
His disciples said, he explains to his disciples, then you also understand, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he made foods clean. But what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. We don't have to look anywhere except inside of us to see that list. This is the reality. And this is the reality of why we need Jesus. That as a believer, that why we continue to need our relationship to Jesus. That we don't just say a prayer and it's all done and over and we're good. We recognize that this dwells inside of me. And again, there's no external answer for this internal problem. Just the same way as that there's no thing that I can look out to and say that's the problem. The problem isn't out there. The problem is in here. The problem is what I'm attracted to. The problem is that. See, where it says here, when it says, um, when it starts that list, when it says sexual immorality in the ESV, the, the word there is pornia. It's where we get our word pornography from. And, and it, 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 it reflects like this idea of the marriage covenant. See, we live in a culture and a world, we don't, we don't get what the marriage covenant is anymore. We've lost track of it. We've, we've, we've just bought into the world's view of it. But you see, the idea of this sexual immorality is anything, any sex outside of the marriage covenant. Sex before marriage, fornication, sin. Sex outside of that with another person not, that you're not in covenant with is adultery. It's sin. Any sexual act outside of the marriage covenant of a man and a woman is sinful. And that's what the Bible teaches, plainly, clearly. And it begins this list with this idea. You see, what you don't see on this list is things like, don't go to a really high building here in town and jump off of it. Why? Because we don't struggle with that generally. It's not an issue. When you see what Jesus starts making lists of, he's dealing with the issues that are inside of us. It's an inward problem. It cannot be solved by an outward solution. You see, it's about our heart. Luke 6.45, Jesus said this. He said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. It's about the heart. Where's your heart? See, the, your mouth becomes a great barometer for what's in your heart. Because Jesus said, out of what fills your heart, your mouth speaks. So what's coming out of your mouth regularly? Where are you at with that? Is it negative? Does it build up? Where is it? Because it's a reflection of where your heart is at. And, and so then we, we're, we're stuck with this thing that says, well, if this is me, then what do I do about it? And there's only one thing you can do about it. That's to press into Jesus, to abide in him, 
and he in you, right? Because he's the vine and we're the branches. And if we abide in him and he in us, then we will bear much fruit, right? You ever wonder why Jesus cursed the fig tree? It's kind of an interesting picture. It says he looked at it from a long ways off and it looked like it would be good. But when he got up close to it, he saw that it had no figs. It's that idea like that from a ways off, we can look good as Christians, as people, right? But we wanna, we've got to be the kind of people that when Jesus gets, when, when we're closely looked at, when we're closely observed, that we still look like that. And, and don't hear me say that, that, that we're perfect, you know, like, I don't got this. I'm not like some spiritual thoroughbred who's out there running like 14 links ahead of everybody else. I'm struggling with my stuff, just like you're struggling with your stuff. But the solution for all of us is the same. The solution for all of us is Jesus. And allowing him to do that inward work, allowing him to do what only he can do by pressing into him, by pressing into his word and knowing this. So is there anything that you have a predetermined idea about that's keeping you from accurately and rightly dividing God's word, seeing the whole counsel of God's word? Or are you hyper-focused on one or two verses? Because if you're building theology on one or two verses, you probably have a predetermined idea of how this is going to turn out, right? Are you a seeker? That'd be the big question because there's a promise that says when we seek, we find, right? Now, now, I remember very well, I would have told you 10 years before becoming a Christian that I was a seeker because I was looking into every kind of religious belief and thought that there was out there, all of it, except Christianity mostly because I didn't like Christians, I told you that. But anyway, um, and, and for 10 years, I would have told you I was a seeker, but I wasn't. You know why? Because I had a predetermined idea of how it was going to turn out. But there became a day in my life where I said, God, I don't know you, but I want to know you. I don't know anything about you. I gave up on that idea that I knew something about God because I'd spent all my time trying to define God, um, tell him what he ought to be doing and how he ought to be doing it, where he ought to be operating and all that kind of stuff. The day I gave up that job was the best day of my life. It's the day things began to actually change in my life. The day that I said, God, I don't know who you are. I know that that's the day that God went, okay, perfect. Now you're a seeker. Now you're a seeker. Because it was at that point that I got open to whatever God would tell me. And I guess that's the big question today. Are you open to whatever God would tell you from his word? I want to live that way. And, and I'll make this deal with you. I've told you this before. If there's a time where I say something up here that doesn't agree with what's in here, then I welcome a conversation with you because I'm under the authority of this. And if you show me by scripture, not what you think, but by scripture that I'm wrong, I'll change what I believe. You know why? Because I'm under authority of this, God's word. And I want to be open to what it tells me. Even when it's not comfortable, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't agree with me or where I'm going or what I want to go, where I'd like to go. Are you putting things on people that God doesn't? Are you adding to other people's burdens by, by how you view certain things? Are you seeing the world? Do you have a worldview that is a biblical one? 
Is it a biblical worldview? You know, there's, there's like a really bad statistic out there that says like only about like 7% of Christians or something like that have a real biblical worldview. That's a problem. Do you see God's word in the decisions in your life? Is it the lens that you see life through? Do you make the important decisions by going here first or just by how smart you are? So that's the challenge today. Is as we're walking, we're doing this journey, that, that we're recognizing the reality of, of a propensity that's within us. But we're always understanding as well, the greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. And so we don't have to fear what's out there as long as we're plugged into the right place, right? Like we've got this great stereo system and all that kind of stuff, but you know what? If it's not plugged in, it's pretty useless. Don't work, right? It doesn't work unless it's plugged in. So we got to live that way. We got to live plugged in. We're in the middle of this, and, and it's important what you're doing and where you're at, how you're living your life, living for the purposes that God has uniquely for you and I, the giftings that he's given you, the things that other people, the relationships that are around you, these are your opportunities to live with the purpose that God has for you. And then this last little cartoon, somebody saying, hey, it ain't much, but it's all I got. And God's saying, it's all I ever wanted. What does God want from you? That's the big question, man. What do you want from me, God? He wants your heart. He wants your heart. That's it. And once he has your heart, that's where the, the journey and the adventure really begins. Sometimes we try to start the adventure without him. We're like, oh, I'm gonna go out and do a bunch of good stuff today, God. I got a whole plan. I got a whole list of it right here. See you later. No, just give him your heart. You'll find the adventure. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you know us and that you love us, that you have plans and purposes for us. Protect us, God. Help us to guard our hearts and minds. Help us to, to live according to your word. Help us to be open to whatever you would teach us, whatever direction it would take us, even, Lord, when it, we don't want to go there. Help us to, to do the hard things, Lord. Help us to allow you to truly be Lord, because there's a reality, Lord, that if you're not Lord of all, then you're not Lord at all. So we want you to be Lord of our lives. We want you to be Lord here in this church. We want you to guide and direct us wherever you would take us. And Lord, we just want to not be Pharisees. And Lord, we don't want to be fearful either. We don't want to just feel like if we go out there into the world that it's just going to stick to us and it's just going to, it's going to defile us. Lord, we recognize that you've made us clean and may we never call common what you've made clean. And Lord, may we, may we live for the, for the higher things of life. Keep us from getting caught up in our own selfishness, our own desire for more. Teach us, Lord, when we've got enough that we might be an outflow to other people. Lord, remind us, keep us, keep us mindful that this is all temporary, that we're all passing out of here. Lord, help us to keep our, our eyes fixed on the higher things that you have for us. Lord, may we walk in a way that is pleasing to you. And Lord, may when you, when you see us both afar and up close, might we bear fruit, Lord. Not because we're capable of that, but only because we're abiding in you. And because abiding in you is the conditions that we need 
all the right conditions are there to bear fruit, then, Lord, we're asking that out of the lives here at this place, and not just here, but the greater church, the church that meets not just in Sheridan, but the church that meets in Wyoming and the church that meets in this nation, to the global church that meets to praise and honor you, Lord. May you bear much fruit. May we change the world, Lord. May we recognize that you've called the church to be the game changer in the world around us. We love and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.